Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. My name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer, uh, and this morning's webinar is brought to you in, in conjunction with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and NRN. This morning, I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Burke. Martin is an organic tillage specialist with Chagask, and he's t- talking to us this morning or addressing the question, is organics a, a viable option for uh, Irish tillage farmers? Martin, you're very welcome. Morning, Pat. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And you're not here. going to take offence at being called an organic uh, tillage specialist, no? No, no. I'm very proud to be an organic tillage specialist, yeah. So... Very good. We're also joined by, by Fintan Thielen. Fintan is head of, of farm management and rural development section or um, knowledge transfer section with, within Chagask. Uh, Fintan, you're very welcome. Morning, Pat. Uh, Morning, Fintan, everybody. The unit you manage dealing with, with uh, organics has grown, I think, fairly rapidly in the last months and year uh, to yeah, the demand that's out there, I think. There's been a big increase. I suppose there's been a doubling of the number of organic farmers and it's seen to grow further as well in the future. And hopefully people will get information today that will help them in that uh, challenge and and addressing maybe the opportunity that is coming with organics. We've had uh, the appointment of six new organic dedicated advisors uh, throughout the country. So they're covering uh, a geographical spread across the country. And we have three organic specialists now, of uh, which Martin is one. And we, the first time we've had a, a specific lead on tillage, which is, uh, I suppose, it's one of the weaker points in terms of the organics. And it's it, our grassland system supports the uh, livestock enterprises very well in the summer months. But the winter costs is, are really what uh, are challenging for organic farmers and the costs of those um, inputs in the winter. So there's good money in organics uh, in the tillage side, and we're trying to encourage more people to take up that opportunity. And part of that is we have a monitor farm program running for the next five years that's being launched today. It's called Growing Organics. It's uh, been launched on the farm of Jason Stanley in Earl here in County Leash and uh, if anybody wants to go to that we'd be encouraging them to go to that but also we'll have a series of walks over the next number of years. Okay so significant resources going into the area. Martin if you're happy to begin your presentation. Okay I suppose before I start just a little bit about myself for those of you that don't know me. Uh, I've only just started in this job in the last eight or nine months and before this I suppose I was born and bred on on a tillage farm in Wicklow and I was a teacher of tillage in Kildalton College for seven years. And then I moved up back home to Wicklow and I was a crops advisor there for the last 21 years. So it's, I suppose it's all I've known is, is, is tillage farming. And uh, I suppose I have a great passion uh, for tillage farming. And uh, about a year ago, I saw this job opportunity come up and I decided to do a little bit of research into it. And the more I researched it, the more I realized I didn't know a whole lot about organic tillage farming and the uh, opportunities it, it has, you know. So without further ado, I'll try and share with you some of the, the options, you know, some of the, the opportunities as I see it. And is and I, I'll, I'll address this question. So is organics a viable option for Irish tillage farmers? So to begin with, uh, as, as Finton says, look, there was a doubling of organic farming numbers. Uh, the, the number of farmers went from 2,000 to 4,000 overnight before Christmas when the scheme closed on the 9th of December. And, you know, uh, we have a target of getting now to 10%. The, the Ireland's climate action uh, plan target is now to have 10% of the utilizable land area in organic by 2030. Okay, That target was 7.5% by 2027. Uh, at the moment, we're looking at there's about 190,000 hectares um, for closer actually to 4.5% of land area. The average farm size there is 47 hectares. So... But if we get to you know this ten percent figure, we would be looking at about ten thousand farmers uh, uh, nationally farming organically by the year twenty thirty. And I suppose just to say, you know, many of these farmers are beef and sheep farmers. We're we're looking at around eighty five to ninety percent of them beef and sheep farms. Okay. 
Why, I suppose, was there such an increase in organic farming there? Uh, how did the numbers double? And I suppose one of the key things, obviously, is let's we make no secret of it. It was the, the attractive payment rates that were announced last autumn. And you can see there across all the different enterprises there, the different payment rates. And if I just highlight here, first of all, the tillage one is what we want to concentrate on today. So you can get anywhere up to 70 hectares of tillage land you can get a conversion payment of 320 euros a hectare to bring your land into organic. And you'll get that. For, it takes two years to convert your land to organic. So the first two years, the land is, is called in conversion. And then in the third year, after your two years is up, you then your land is now fully organic. You're, you're fully certified organic. So naturally, the payment rate comes back then a little bit to 270 because it's envisaged you're getting a premium price at that stage. You're getting full organic price for your produce. Okay. So... And then the other thing there, actually, at the bottom of the of the screen there, you can see the participation payment. This is a new thing they introduced as well. The department brought in a, a payment of €2,000 in the first year and 1400 each year after. That's to cover things like, you know, the organic license, your conversion plan at the start. There's a lot of bits and pieces that, you know, do incur a cost. So that was to, and it, you know, it definitely covers that generous, very generously. So what does it mean uh, to a tillage farmer? So he or she, if they were farming, say, just if they just had 10 hectares in the scheme, they would get 320 euros a hectare on the 10 hectares plus the 2,000 euro participation payment. So you'd be looking there at the, at the first one there, the first payment of 5,200, you can see. So, you know, uh, that's in year one. And then across over the five years, you'd see 22,100. And that's just on 10 hectares. So it's very, very uh, attractive payment rates. If you did have the 70 hectares in there, you could see 109,000. If you had 70 hectares in the scheme, that's what you'd get in, in payments over the five years. So it's a lot of money. And one of the things, I suppose, in terms of the opportunities for tillage farmers, uh, I would see this as a huge one, that you don't have to convert all your farm. You can do a partial conversion if you're uh, in tillage. So because it is a big ask, um, there is uh, in the mindset a fear of failure. How could I possibly do it? You know, my next point says, you know, there's no chemical fertilizer or chemicals allowed on, on the organic part of your farm. Uh, you know, that is a big uh, mindset change. It's a, it's a challenge. And, you know, maybe it's a, a step too far for some people to decide to put the whole farm in. But it's a wonderful opportunity, I think, that you can put just part of the farm in. Okay. As I mentioned before, uh, two years before your farm gets the, the full organic status. And then one of the caveats, one of the key things of going partially organic is you just can't grow the same crop in any given season on the organic part of your farm uh, and on the conventional part. So, for example, if I was growing winter wheat in 2024 uh, in the conventional part of my farm, I can't grow winter wheat organically that year. But I could the following year if I'm not growing winter wheat conventionally. So you just have to be very careful, you know, that you, you, you stay within the scheme rules. Um, there, there are other things like, you know, storing your produce. Obviously, you should have, you know, a separate shed for storing uh, produce and keep it away from all the conventional inputs. You know, so that's that stands to reason. If you have fields near one another, for example, if you have a conventional and organic field, you'd want to make sure that there's definitely a, a high hedgerow or, you know, a definable distance between the two so that you don't risk contamination of spray drift from from one over to the other and i suppose the big the big one and, and and finton hit on this uh you know that uh the profitability or uh, you know where, where the money is at i suppose the, the potential is that you know at the moment we do have a situation where there's uh organic grain you know for, uh, organic livestock you know, when they do require to be fed cereals or ration, it has to be organic ration. And a lot of that is imported at the minute. And like last winter, we were looking at figures of around 850 to 950 euros per tonne is what farmers had to pay for it. And even more if they were buying it in small bags. So there's a wonderful opportunity there for Irish tillage farmers to supply that market and, you know, to charge less, obviously. And it's a win-win for everyone. So the buyer pays less and the producer makes you know gets a nice premium for their produce so just to address this whole organic feed area i actually had a meeting in abbey leaks with about 40 organic tillage farmers back in early march on the first of march and arising out of that a lot of growers were very concerned they just didn't know what size market really they were producing for exist these are existing organic growers they're you know they're a little bit afraid that you know will there be a market there for their produce so the department of agriculture 
came on board there and they initiated a feed survey, which was great. They got they sent out a survey to 4,000 of the organic farmers. They got a really, really good uh, response rate. So they got almost 1,200 responses. And one of the things, you know, that came out of it was the big demand for straight feeds, first of all. And there's a very big demand for this. Uh, it's known as kind of a combi crop or combination crop, but it's a mixture of a legume, like a pea or a bean mixed with a cereal, so like a, a wheat or oats or a barley. And, you know, there's, there's a, there was a demand from those respondents. It, it amounted to about 15, just over 1,500 tonnes is what they would be looking for this coming winter. They would also be looking for about a further 1,500 tonnes for straight organic wheat, organic oats or organic barley. Uh, another thing was that there's going to be a very, uh, there is a strong demand, they'd said, for uh, organic concentrate feed, mainly beef, but also sheep and then some dairy and poultry. Uh, this was from the respondents in the survey. And that amounted to just over 8,000 tonnes. And then there was also, they showed a very high demand for forages. So over 9,000 tonne of forage, mainly silage and hay, but there was about 1,000 tonne there as well of red clover silage demand. So, you know, it's very encouraging to see that there is, a, I suppose this was encouraging for tillage farmers to see real data, real figures. So uh, what do I do with these figures? I, I've decided to put them to, to kind of... to. I'm trying to guess my best guesstimate as to where I see the the, the, the total market size for the moment. So, so what I'm doing is there was 1,200 out of 4,000 there respondents. So the potential demand then, uh, yeah, what I've done is I, I've, there was really only about one third, obviously. There was about 30% of the 4,000 responded. I'm just safely, conservatively estimating we could multiply those figures by two uh, Okay, the, the demand if we had had more respondents. So I would say it's more than this, but we'll just safely multiply that demand by two. So my 1,500 tons has gone to 3,000 and the 1,500 for the grain has gone to 3,000 and so on. I've doubled everything. So that's kind of where we see the, the animal feed uh, tonnage that will be required this winter conservatively. And then if I add in the oats that was contracted in, I was chatting to Johnny Flahaven yesterday and they took in 9,300 tons there in 2022. Uh, that was contracted in for the the, the organic oat market. Uh, Whites took in 500 tons last year on contract and about 900 is contracted this year. But the one thing I would say about both Flahavans and Whites, they have very, they're, they're saying it's a very good space. It's growing well, the sector, and they both expect to be expanding uh, these figures. Okay. So, and then between other mills, water distillery and so on, I've thrown in another thousand tons. So, about thirty-three thousand tons is is, is where is where we're looking at uh, for the for the um, projected demand. So, how do we meet that demand? Are we meeting it? Uh, it's very hard to get good data on the hectares that are currently in organic. But uh, I got a source from the Department of Agriculture there from twenty twenty one that there's there was three thousand three hundred and forty two hectares of organic cereals in twenty twenty one. And about 70% of that was organic oats. So that's obviously most of that is going to the to the Flahaven uh, market and, and whites. So um, that's, as I say, about 70% of the area. And then the rest of it would be organic wheat, organic um, barley, uh, organic feed oats. That's not going to Flavins and some of the combi crops. And then some provisional figures I got from the department there of, I was trying to find out how many went in just before Christmas that were tillage farmers. The, there was about 30 or 34, I think was the figure, and that was, it represented about 660 hectares. So that'd be about 20 hectares each. So that must be maybe people dipping their toe in the water, putting in about 20 hectares, inclu including two or three of my old clients I, I, I persuaded to go in. So if we add that 660 hectares to the 3,342, we're looking at about 4,000 hectares, I would imagine. So give or take, somewhere in around 4,000 hectares, possibly up to four and a half. It's, it's very hard to get accurate data. But what I would say is, you know, we know that it's probably safety, safe to assume there's 33,000 tons required. So I would imagine at four or five tons per hectare, we could very easily say we need double that area. We probably need about 8,000 hectares to, to meet that 33,000 ton requirement. Okay. And don't forget, we're more we're very uh, positive uh, in terms of what we expect will go into the uh, scheme again this year I, we fully expect it could be another 2000 farms going in again so that would further increase the tonnage by probably another 10000 tons okay so it is positive it's all good news so what are the considerations then i suppose uh, you know if you want to be go organic tillage and first question you know, a critical one is, have you a source of organic manure? If you don't have organic manures, 
really then you're faced with spending ex- a lot of money or going on to another expensive treadmill of buying speciality approved fertilizers. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be as lucrative. Okay. The economics mightn't stack up. The, the big one really is I've often heard this phrase, you can, you can convert the farm, but you won't, you know, but it's harder to convert the farmer. And it is true. Uh, have you the right mindset? You know, you have to forget about what all the neighbors think. Okay. Uh, it's a fear. There is a fear, a genuine fear, and I understand it. And, but this is why I think the partial option has, is, is a great option. You know, have you the skill set to adapt? I'll mention in a while, I'll go into the weed control challenge, but I, I'm very confident that if anyone has the skill set, it's traditional uh, tillage farmers, conventional, that have all the skill sets in the world to, to tackle things. I would say you need to think very strategically when you're converting. You know, if you had a field, for example, full of wild oats and every weed imaginable, imaginable, that probably isn't the best starting point. Whereas if you have a field that is only after coming out of grass in the last few years, maybe a new block of land that you're farming that's quite clean, that could be the one to convert first because uh, you won't have the same weed burden. Are you a good seller? So what I mean, you know, it's not it's not as simple as just there's no at the minute, uh, you know, there wouldn't be a merchant where you could deliver, for example, a, a combi crop, a mixture of peas and beans and that'll take it, that'll happily take it and use it. You'd want to be selling it direct. But are you a good seller? Like there are plenty of farmers already out there contract growing maize and doing it very successfully. Um, so you do have to be a little bit more, I would say, proactive if you want to keep the value in your farm gate. Uh, you know, have you got adequate storage, the infrastructure to do it? So these are things I think you should all cons- you should be considering. Um, could you partner up, for example, with a few other farmers to form an efficient supply chain? So I did have one farmer, organic farmer, who has quite a lot of customers already for organic feed, animal feed in the west of Ireland. And he did say to me the other day, you know, if... I wouldn't mind, I suppose his, his issue is he could double what he sells, he said to me, if he had a consistent supply of organic feed coming into him, but he doesn't have the storage, he's not as well geared up for it as he could be. And he said, you know, I, I sort of suggested if you had one farmer with maybe the dryer, another farmer with adequate shed space, uh, I'll show you some machinery in a minute that can be used for mechanical weed control. Maybe you could form maybe a machinery ring where you share the, the machine um, to, to do your weed control. But Farming and maybe efficient supply chains is really the way we, we should be going, you know. So what are the technical challenges? I know you wanted me to address this, Pat, because it is a, a big one. We're going to remove chemicals. We're going to remove fertilizer. Uh, how, how do you do it and what are the biggest challenges? And as I see it, uh, the number one challenge is weeds. When I went for this job three uh, last year, I asked three farmers, I just wanted to get their feeling. What do you think of when I mentioned the word organic tillage farming? And the, the word they all said was weeds. Uh, the third guy actually said weeds and dirt. So it is seen, it's perceived as the number one challenge. I would say it is. There's no lying about it. And But there's lots of solutions that don't involve chemistry. And like I've written there at the top, uh, number one challenge, weed control without herbicides. I would say that's starting to, that is starting to become the number one challenge on conventional farms because we're seeing more and more herbicide resistance weeds becoming tolerant, especially grass weeds. But we also see it now in the broadleaf weeds like chickweed. So it's, it's becoming an issue and it doesn't, it's not just an issue of organic farming. Um, so what are the solutions? It, a lot of these, again, tie in with the solutions for conventional farmers but good crop rotation. So one of the, I suppose, the fertility building crops that would be used in a, in a tillage rotation in organics would be red clover, would be, it's a very, very good crop to grow, uh, you know, a couple of years of red clover. It'll smother the weeds out. It could reduce your weed burden over a number of years. So there, there's one option of, of bringing in grass lays into your rotation. The fall seedbed technique, um, I have a grower who is actually attempting to grow organic fodder beet this year. And, he plowed the field in early spring and he gave it a run of a, an old harrow and that stimulated weeds to grow. When they grew, he came in with the harrow again and he took them out of it and flushed out another set of weeds and came in again so that when the drill came in and saw that that beet is now at the cotyledon stage and there is very, very hardly a weed in sight and it'll be left then to an inter-row hoar to do the rest of the job. So I'm not saying we'll get 100% weed control, but if you get an acceptable level and you haven't used chemistry, it's, it's proof it can be done. Um, seeding rates has always been used as a as a as a as a kind of a, a tool to to smother out weeds that you would increase the seeding rate in a cereal crop by ten or fifteen percent to just make it more competitive. 
keeping the ground covered in the autumn if you're spring cropping you know don't leave the ground bare in the autumn try and keep it covered species like mustard are very good at smothering weeds um companion crops so you know uh, say for example clovers down in the base of cereal crop that'll act as a mulch to keep weeds down and then i want to i suppose just delve on this one here the mechanical weeding technology um i had the opportunity to go to holland there a few weeks back and it's fascinating what is coming down the tracks what is there already and what's coming down the tracks in terms of technology and i think this kind of technology will be very applicable as well to conventional tillage farmers uh, especially seeing as there's a, a need for them to repl- uh, to reduce pesticide input by by 50% by 2030 this could be one of the ways to to achieve to get there i'm just going to show you a picture of a machine so this is just i'm going to just show you a sample now a range of what's out there and this is known as a precision tine arrow harrow so it's it, there are basic versions of this kind of a machine known as just a, a spring tine grass harrow or a straw harrow but this is actually a step up again it's a precision tine harrow so each of the little um springs our tines are individually spring loaded and they can ride the contours of the land they can even go down in the valleys in drilled crops down into the low valleys so i'll i'll say no more about it and i'll just share with you a little video i have prepared of it this was last uh, thursday up in wicklow and just first of all before i play the video uh, that's a crop of organic spring oats and it looks every bit as good as any conventional crop of spring oats okay so this is it working and we'll play this here now one second See, you know, no real harm for the cereal crop. That'll just come back up, just just like running a roller over. That'll that'll recover in a few days. But uh, yeah, it's doing a fairly good job on these weeds. There's now a bigger weed. There's a, a volunteer rape actually. Uh, you can see that there. There's a volunteer rape. So it's at the uh, it's was the two true leaf stage. There, good big cotyledons and set of true leaves. There was a nice little root on it, and it managed to uproot it. So it's aggressive enough, you know. Here's another one, slightly bigger. Again, yeah, it's done a job on that one as well. So that's probably the limit as, 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 as large a weed as you really want to be trying to get with this kind of a machine, you know. Little bit of damage here to the cereal crop, the odd one, yeah. Okay, so there is a little bit of damage to the oats. But generally speaking, yeah, no, that oats is fine. There's that little, that little bounce back up. Um, so, yeah. Interesting technology. So yeah, so that's uh, a very interesting machine. So that, as I say, it doesn't go into a row. That goes, you know, takes the row of corn and everything. And uh, but you know, very effective. I would say we were probably two weeks too late going into the crop. Uh, the manufacturer of the machine would actually recommend you're, you know, you're going in uh, on much smaller weeds. Um, even going in sometimes before the crop emerges above the height of the seed he recommends uh, which I, I find amazing but this is the the kind of technology that's out there and and uh, you know there's huge potential with it the next machine then would be going between the rows so inter-row cultivating and you can get these camera guided machines let's see can I uh, put a pointer on here on this a laser pointer there so if you can see that there where I'm pointing the the, the laser dot that there is a camera and it's following the uh, lines of the crop. So it's guiding then the machine. The machine shifts left or right. It's on a sliding frame here. And you leave your link arms stabilizers off open so that your, your, you know, your machine can slide back and forth to make sure it stays accurately uh, between the row. So that the, the hoeing equipment, then the tines on these machines, these duck feed tines are operating between the row and not taking the crop. But these are very effective and to be effective on much larger weeds. So... Just, you know, that technology is is there. And even, for example, uh, there is art. I know we've heard a lot about artificial intelligence taking over the world there recently. And But there is this AI type uh, uh, technology there that will differentiate a weed from the crop. And, you know, uh, is very, very accurate at, at it'll just pick out the weed and it'll 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 uh, just, you know, it, it won't touch the crop. It can even it can operate along the row. So not just between the rows. So this is where, you know, technology is amazing what's coming. So 
Then, and this is just, again, if you couldn't afford, for example, if you don't go for, let's just say you have an old harrow at home, uh, an old springtime harrow or something, or you're good at making frames, welding up bits and pieces together. What a farmer could do is just buy this main attachment here. This has the camera on it. So the front of this machine out here is attached to the tractor. This is actually the back of it. And what you could do then on these link arms here is attach your own. You could have a 20-year-old implement or 40-year-old implement and attach it on there. And it'll be then, it'll be guided by the camera from this uh, steering unit. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of flexibility there in what you might decide to, to, to go for. This was a machine then, here's, this is just where things are kind of going at. This is, a, you know, the, the, the scale of where things are going. This is a fully automated robot that'll sow a crop for you and weed it for you. And this was actually on display in the plowing match last year. And uh, it's, it was invented by two brothers from Denmark. So, you know, the, the, the technology is amazing what's coming along to, to get around this, uh, this weed control issue. So what are the other technical challenges? Uh, as I mentioned access to organic manures. And, you know, we're not all lucky enough to maybe to have a slide, but, but, but some of us, some farmers would, tillage farmers would already have been using organic manures. Uh, you're allowed to use cattle slurry. It just can't come from an intensive, like a feedlot. Okay. You can use farmyard manure and you must allow it three months to compost. Dairy sludge is becoming very popular on farm, on, on the organic farms. And uh, so long as it's certified organic and you can use organic or free-range poultry manure. So those are kind of the, the sources of the organic manures as we know it. Now, if you don't have a source of organic manures, I suppose this is where you're at a disadvantage. You know, you're going to have to maybe spend money on some of the more expensive alternatives. But I, I suppose the first point I want to make, and this applies to any, whether it's conventional or organic, you must maintain and build soil fertility, uh, good farming whether it's organic or conventional, you, know, you should be at least maintaining fertility. So, you know, you can still apply lime if required. Uh, you know, you do have then expensive alternatives like SOP, sulfate of potash. Um, polysulfate is allowed in organics. It's another very good fertilizer. So, you know, uh, rock phosphate, there's a number of them there, patent Cali, but you'd like to be trying to meet your, your nutrient requirement with the uh, traditional sources like the cattle's manures and, you know, the cattle slurries and the, the farmyard manures. Um, but, and, and obviously if you're in an integrated system where you have livestock on your farm, uh, sheep or beef with your tillage enterprise, that's that's the, 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 the nice place to be because you will have your own source of organic manures, but we're not all that fortunate. Some of us are stockless uh, tillage farmers that are going organic. And one of the things, however, that could be, I've written there, a possible game changer in that situation where you don't really have much organic manure or you mightn't have the free dairy sludge right beside you. Uh, here's one of the options here. And I would say it's definitely a, a potential game changer for the organic tillage farmer because this is a pelleted poultry manure and this is something you can spread with your own fertilizer spinner. And so, you, you know, I suppose the advantages there is you're not dependent on a contractor to come in with heavy slurry tankers. They'll come to suit themselves because they have such a busy work schedule ahead. They'll usually come by ironically when there's been a few days of rain and the ground could be compacted and you don't really want them coming. So here's a solution that you can put out as a top dressing on the growing crop, or you could apply this to the plowed ground and till it in. Uh, they are actually, I think, making it into a finer pellet as well, so that you'd be able to, a real good one would be that you'd be able to um, combine drill this, put it down the spout with your with your seed when you're drilling, especially if your indices for phosphorus were maybe, you know, one or two down low. So here's another little video just to show you this in operation. Uh, you can see there we have trays on the ground there to measure as well the how accurately it was spreading, how wide was it spreading, and how evenly. Again, another crop uh, that, as I say, if it was a conventional crop, I'd be uh, very proud of it. I wouldn't, if you told me if it was conventional, I believe you had no difference. A very good crop of spring oats being grown organically there. Okay, so look, what are the other technical challenges? Um, you know, disease control, it goes back to the fundamentals of any type of crop farm, good crop rotation. Uh, you know, trying to, you know, I suppose, uh, avoid growing the same crop year in your out in the same field, uh, choosing resistant varieties and intercropping. So, you know, maybe mixing more than one species together. So this is where, for example, you know, your combi crop combination type crop is, is popular. Uh, sometimes, you know, even just mixing varieties together you can reduce the weed, the disease burden. But um, 
But look, you will get disease, but you won't get as much of it generally in an organic crop because you're not pumping uh, loads of artificial nitrogen into the crop. You're not going to have as thick a canopy, crop canopy, as you would in a conventional situation. So it's not going to get the same level of disease. So that's that's one thing I would say. So the challenge isn't as big. Um, there are products you can use like sulfur as well uh, to to apply as a as a as a as a that would have some sort of fungicidal properties. That's that's fully you know approved organic friendly. So you don't have to go sp- uh, spraying fungicides. You don't need you know you don't have to. There's no dependence. So I just want to move into how am I doing on time? Right. I just want to move into the whole area of the margins because at the end of the day that the title of the talk was is it viable? And at the end of the day, sometimes we're often accused of not having figures, uh, enough good data, profitability figures, and so on. So I've I've attempted to just to call it as it is, and I'm trying to be fair to both systems to conventional and organic. So I'm just going to show you uh, a range of situations of scenarios. And I also want to highlight I suppose, the volatility of how input prices and output prices affect both systems and which system has the better cushion uh, to, to adjust to, to these volatility uh, situations. So first of all, very quickly, in 2022, the prices, I'll just put all this up. So there's our prices on the right. The grain price was roughly 290 euros green for um, conventional growers. And the grain price, say, the Flahaven contracted price for organic oats was 430. And... If we look at, uh, if I take the five-year average yield for spring oats from the CSO data, it's 7.2 tons per hectare. So if the conventional grower, so the, the figures down along the, the, the left-hand side are all conventional, they're from the crop costs and returns booklet. Uh, okay, so that's the Chagas costs and returns. And we've taken the five-year average. And then what I've done on the right-hand side for the organic crop of spring oats is a yield of four and a half tons per hectare, which is 1.8 tons per acre. And at the 430, and you can see the the differences in the the prices. Can can you see the bottom of that screen? I was there? just going to say to you, you we're missing the punchline there. Yeah. How do can I move that that bar? I, 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 yeah, I'll, just, I'll move this bar up. I see. Can I catch it here? I'll just move it up there. Now, that better? Not yes. Oh yes. Very yep. good. Yeah. So the bottom line is effectively in 2022. An organic crop of spring oats was leaving a margin of about 600 euros an acre and a conventional crop about 322, okay? And then what then if this, the, so what happens there is then if we assumed, I, I suppose what I've done is a kind of a worst case scenario, um, you're growing organic, you're growing the crop organically, you're growing it with no, none of the the, the pesticide inputs, okay? And you're, you're not getting the premium price as well. Where does that leave things at? Okay. So you can see, so you're, so you're getting the, the four and a half tons per hectare as opposed to 7.2. But what I've done is I've put the conventional price into it so that you're receiving conventional, no premium. And you can still see you're coming in there at around 345 euros an acre. So it's comparable to the conventional spring oat figure. Well, what I want to do is show you how the volatility affects things in terms of how much more the organic system is cushioned against these price hikes in, in fertilizer or collapse in grain price. So in this system in 2022, we had the high grain prices, okay, but we also had the high, uh, we had the high fertilizer prices and the high grain prices. Now the perfect storm has arrived and the price has collapsed, you know, has come back 100 euros a ton, but we still had the high grain, the high fertilizer prices because most growers had their fertilizer bought there in the autumn or early spring. So now when we run all those, I'm going to just throw all the figures out you can see very, very quickly, first of all, obviously, look, it's not good news for conventional spring oats uh, this year now, because as I say, the, the price is well back, but the, the costs were high. So we're looking at maybe a margin of 31 euros an acre. But the organic spring oats, uh, you know, is holding very well there at about 418 an acre. But just to show you that the, the figure there on the, the spring oats, you know, with no premium, you're still actually, believe it or not, able to get 163 euros an acre by, by growing it. At that yield, at a 1.8 ton yield, you'd be getting 163 with no inputs an acre. Now, what I've not done here at all is I haven't added in the organic payments along the bottom. So, you know, they're still to be added in there on that. So, but what I suppose in a nutshell, I was working out uh, a figure there that uh, 2.4 tons per hectare, which is a ton per acre, is where you'd be kind of at. You'd have to you'd have to ask yourself, even if you weren't organic at all, uh, and getting no organic payment. If you were to grow a crop this year and achieve one tons per acre, you'd that's kind of where you'd you'd, you'd you, you could you, you'd only need to get one tons per acre with no no inputs. We'll say bar your seed, okay, and you'd make uh, the same as the 
as getting the 2.9 tons per acre or the 7.2 tons per hectare with all the inputs, you'd still be making 31 euros an acre. So it's just food for thought. And as I say to everybody, do your own sums. These are, you know, this is just my own take on it. What I've attempted to do here, I might just move this again, is a seven-year organic rotation. Okay. And uh, what I want to do is, it hasn't been, I don't think it's been attempted before, but it's often been thrown at me, you know, when I, I talk about margins just for one year, you need to look at the whole rotation over five or seven years, the organic versus the conventional, and then see how do the figures stack up. So I've attempted to do it here. I've put a lot of work into these figures. They'll be up on the the website or the usual platforms after anyway where, where, where this goes and people can look at these in more detail so i'm not going to spend i'm uh, not going to go through every single figure okay but what i've i've done is i've taken a seven-year rotation for organic first of all and what i've assumed is we take a block of land and you put it into red clover for two years in 2023 and 24 follow it with winter crop or winter wheat follow it with spring oats follow it with a full what i'm very interested in is a full a pea and bean together Full, full intercrop, I'm calling it. Not pea and grain, but actually peas with beans. There's work being done in Oak Park at the moment by Sheila Alves, and it looks very promising. The beans will act as a, a scaffold to hold up the peas from lodging. And that would attract a full protein payment then because there's no cereal in it. So that's that's the, the crop I've introduced into that rotation in 2027. Followed then by winter wheat. I'll just move this again now up. And then followed by uh, winter oats in 2029, and then you'd be back to your red clover of two years. So it's an ambitious rotation. I think it's very doable. Um, you could uh, alternate the winter oats into spring oats at times if you want to get more organic manures into the system in the springtime. Uh, but you know that, that, but that's of what I've done then is I've taken a gross margin for each year. Uh, my assumptions are all there in the box. So I took organic grain at 400 euro a ton, red clover at 45 a bale, and the full protein intercrop at 500 uh, a ton. So on the next slide then, I click on, let's see, there. So this is my conventional rotation. I'll just move this around again. I, I'll just put this across uh, there maybe. Now, so this, the seven-year conventional rotation, what I've taken, I've, been, I've tried to be as fair as I can to both systems. Uh, so in 2023, I've used beans as the crop. Uh, you know, I could have used a cereal crop where we know the margins are going to be deflated, but I, I've, used, I've started with beans in 23, which will be one of the better uh, performing crops from the point of view of it didn't need the high cost of fertilizer that would be associated with the um, with the cereal crops. But if you if you go beans, winter wheat, followed by winter barley, followed by winter rape, followed by winter wheat, so you're growing first wheats after your break crops, and then you're back to your beans, and you're keeping your four years in the good rotation for legume, and then back to wheat. And you can see the gross margins it produces. And I've assumed here the, the prices I've taken is the current prices of where they're at for the beans and for the wheat and the barley, so that's, and the oilseed rape. I've taken i've allowed that seed cost will be lower from 2024 onwards because if grain price is down the seed cost this autumn should be back as well if, if grain price is back 100 i have assumed spray spray prices will stay the same i've taken obviously fertilizer prices for the 2023 crops are what people have paid already but what i've done is from 2024 onwards i've reduced the fertilizer back by 50 percent fertilizer costs off the current so that's i've tried to be fair and the, the bottom line is this, if we click in here now, click on. So the average gross margin, if I average it out over the next seven years, the organic rotation would give an average gross margin there, average of 496, and the conventional seven-year, 287. So like, and that doesn't include the, the payments. So uh, it's it's fairly, you know, you're looking at a 200 euros an acre difference, and then add your payments on top of that, sure, there's another 120 or 30 euros an acre. Now, so to conclude there, Okay, so I'm conscious of time. So as I say, I would say there's a very good short-term market, certainly, okay? Um, obviously, if 500 growers all came in with 500 acres each, that, that would dampen it, all right? But there is currently very good short-term market. Payment rates, as we've seen, very attractive. You can see from the figures, compares very favorably with conventional tillage farming. I would say, I would suggest the partial conversion is a great starting point. Uh, you know, how we farm is changing. So, you know, to be gearing up, be ready, be having a look at some of this mechanical weeding technology, that kind of stuff. Talk to your advisor. You know, you need to measure where you're currently at. Have a look at your e-profit monitors, see what you're currently doing and, and see is it, you know, sustainable. 
And then finally, I would say, I suppose, is just to uh, uh, attend a few organic farm walks. It's a great place to get the information. And it leads me into the, the last slide here, just is the one here is just to highlight again. It's where I'm off to now after this. So it's there's an organic farm walk there. I, it's the, the first of our growing organic walks. It's the first of four that we'll have organic growing, growing organic walks, but we also will have 24 local walks as well this year. So there's, there's a huge amount of walks out there that you can get to. The organic certification bodies are organizing several walks. The ACA, there's a headwind behind this. You know what I mean? All the organizations are on board. Uh, I, I must say it's extremely helpful as well. The, the the people have come across in all the different sectors and, you know, the deal with the organic certification bodies and so on. So there's a real sense of, 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 of we're in this together and we're moving this thing forward and it is happening. Okay, that's it, Pat. I'll, I'll okay, stop sharing stop my screen. Sharing yeah, yeah. I use that button that's been a plague in your screen for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why it wouldn't go away. Here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, quite a few questions coming in, and uh, to remind you to use the 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 Q and A to to put your questions. I think a huge amount of food for thought. Uh, I don't think anybody outside of the, the organic sphere would have expected the kind of figures that you're showing there there today. Uh, and uh, certainly it's going to give a lot of people a, a bit of food for thought in terms of what their future system is. Uh, Fintan, yeah. do you want to kick off yeah. with some questions I'll there? Kick off there. Uh, yeah. First question is, is Irish land good for tillage and horticulture versus animal agriculture? And are there regional variations? Yeah, uh, very interesting question that. Uh, look at, uh, obviously, some parts of the country are just not suitable for tillage, you know, and uh, there are, you know, parts in the, the west of Ireland, uh, but there are parts there, there are pockets that are very suitable. Traditionally, you know, uh, I suppose Munster, Leinster, you know, would be the traditional strongholds for tillage production, but there's nothing to say you can't grow crops on good there will be some pet fields especially maybe on some farms in 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 the you know in other parts of the country more marginal land but even even in the good tillage soils of the southeast where i'm from we still have some fields that are in grass for a reason you know so you'll get you get huge variation within farm uh, out there as well Fintan, you know yeah yeah it's important for each farmer to assess and it, it is and I would it's good say actually so soil maps, isn't there, Martin? Sure, up on that's right. There's very good soil maps that you can get, and a lot of counties are covered in it, and it'll show you very, very uh, down to nearly the field what if it's suitable for for you know what kind of uh, characteristics in terms of drainage and so on. I suppose one of the things, if fields have been in grass a long time, and you know they may not, some of the fields may not have seen a lot of lime over the years. I would say you want to correct your soil fertility first before you start growing tillage crops because. Nearly all the tillage crops want a pH, preferably six and a half to seven. Um, oats is obviously very tolerant of pH down to five, but you know it's 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 if you want to have a diversity in your rotation, and especially if you want to grow the red clovers and so on in your rotation, we know that clovers like higher pH as well. So I think get your soil pH, get it into a good position. You know, yeah. Another one then. Uh, what is the minimum area of hectares you can have to grow organic? I presume it's grow organic in terms of a scheme. In terms of the scheme. Yeah. So, you, okay, to, to go into the scheme, you have to have is a minimum of three three hectares. They lowered it down to, to go into the scheme now. And it's just one hectare for the horticulture down, you know, and the, they may even take it on a case by case as some of the horticultural um, applications, you know, if, if it was marginally smaller. But but uh, three hectares in general is the is the, the minimum rate, the minimum area now. You know, um, yeah, and and five hectares if you wanted to go for TAMS funding uh, for tillage. Yeah. Okay. Are organic cereal trial variety trials carried out in Ireland? There has always been, uh, well, for a long time, spring oat variety trialing. And what's great this year is the department have come on board and they've broadened that out now into spring barley variety testing. I was actually on a site in Wexford. There's one in Wexford. There's one actually on the farm we're going to today in Jason Stanley's. And there's another couple around the country. And they're testing eight spring barley varieties uh, this year. And they're testing seven spring oat varieties uh, for organic to, to see what's, you know, 
suitability yeah, in it's organic It's fantastic nutrition. because there is variation between countries and it's important yeah. that we have that information. And, and, and just to add to that, it would be wonderful if it was expanded even further. I think with all the red clover that's being used, it'd be great Absolutely. if we could maybe get red clover uh, trialed in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's I suppose with all the, the focus on reduced inputs and particularly reduced pesticide inputs, how much of the breeding program is now focusing on building those resistance to those diseases that that are problematic for Irish farmers? There is, there's a, like on the conventional side, there really, it is becoming part, you know, because of the pressure to reduce pesticides as well by 50%, you know, um, there's there's an awful lot of work going into disease resistance. It's it's not all about yield anymore, Pat. They're looking more and more at disease. And you see, there are newer disease issues out there. You know, like I can remember when I first started in the, in the industry, there wasn't even the mention of the word ramularia. And now ramularia and barley is a big, big issue, you know, but, um, you know, and 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 septoria is still a huge issue in wheat. It's just been glossed over a bit in the last years because we've had incredibly dry springs or summers, you know, but we will get that wet year where, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and there's going to be disease pressure years. And this is why we need those varieties there. And there is very, very good work being done on breeding for good disease resistance with all the breeding companies. Yeah. Another one then. Uh in relation to TAMS, uh, if a tillage farm goes out, goes organic, do they get a higher rate of TAMS? Yeah, I'd ha- I'd, I wouldn't like that to be the only reason why a tillage well, farm you, might... you know might... the addiction to heavy metals that can yes, be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't like to be encouraging a farmer just go organic uh, because I'll get myself €18,000 more money because that is what you effectively would get because you're sealing straight away. Go, your ceiling is 90,000, but the 20% extra. So instead of 40% of 90,000, you can get 60%, which is when you do the maths on it, that's that's a difference of 18,000 euro. So, uh, yes, there would, but but one of the things I would say, you'd like people to be coming in for the right reasons and for the long haul. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. There's a lot more to be taken into consideration. It's yeah, nice, yeah. but there's a lot more to be yeah, taken into yeah, consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now there's a good few questions on uh, nutrients. So, Okay. Uh, is cattle slurry on its own high enough in N to grow a successful crop? Good question. Yeah, um, it is. I would say if you are in that lovely integrated system where you have your clovers in the rotation and you're supplying your nitrogen uh, from the clovers, you know, you're getting enough of a kick there. I would say I would say it's going to be a tighter the, 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 that ambitious seven year program I showed mightn't quite work in it because you're going five years of tillage after two years of clover but if you're in maybe three years of tillage and back to clover then certainly if you're in the stockless system or you're trying to be ambitious what I would that's an ambitious plan I have there in the, in the seven year I would say you know if you're only putting out say 3,000 gallons of cattle sorry now the dreaded splash plate word I know Pat would hate me to be saying that word on this this hour but if it was splash plated you're only going to get about three units of nitrogen from each of those thousands so you're only going to get maybe nine units of nitrogen on a crop uh, that in a in a in a in in fields that might have been in tillage a long time that are now organic to me that crop would be starved of nitrogen so you're going to need some other source of organic manure in there or this is where maybe your poultry pelleted manure comes in now that's why I have it down as a game changer. And your yeah. rotations obviously are, are vital in terms right. of keeping yeah. all the nutrients right. Yeah, you know, and even in that rotation, you saw I put a, a, a protein a crop in there in the middle of it to try and jizz up the rotation a bit with a bit of nitrogen, give it a boost. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and then the other the other option, uh, dairy sludge. A question: uh, What is the amount of NPNK in dairy sludge? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's, I would say, a very, very good source of phosphorus. So it's very high in P, most of them. Now, there are variations. It depends yeah. on the, the system, uh, you know, the, the, the process. Uh, but there's variations in what goes in, whether it's whey or more milk. You know, it is, there's, but what I would say generally what I've seen from most of them is they're very high in phosphorus. And some of them have a very good amount of nitrogen as well. But in, in saying that, I know some, some of the research from Johnston Castle, from some of the researchers there, I have, they have a variation of from as little as four to as high as 52% nitrogen availability coming from that nitrogen. So, right. you know, so that you don't be fooled by the total nitrogen figure. You want to see what's available. But what I would say is they are wonderful manures. Uh, I've been involved in a, in a project, Nutri to Cycle a Horizon project that the Johnston Castle researchers are on. And, you know, the two different types of dairy processing sludge in that trial and they have matched conventional fertilizer yields. Uh, you know, they, they can be a direct substitute. And there's definitely, you know, there's a bit of a, a body in the stuff. You can see good plots, you know, good canopy development. So they're doing more than just 
uh, NPK. What I would say is there isn't much potash in them, so you'd want to be balancing up the potassium. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but if you have cattle, sorry, that's where they'd actually they they complement one another very very well because the cattle slurry is you know low enough in nitrogen uh you know okay and phosphorus but very high in potassium so there's you know if you're using a combination of that which some growers are it's good and the good news is it's free uh, in most situations if you're within 20 miles or so yeah yeah uh speaking of potash do you run the risk of running down your k levels if taking many cuts of red clover silage Mm, yeah, you do. That's the answer is yes, you do run the risk. And this is why it comes back to whether you're conventional or organic farming. We have to bring, keep the science in it and make sure we're matching our offtakes and think very carefully about what we're doing. Because it's in three or four years time that you'll suddenly realize yeah. the well has run dry of any particular nutrient. And what I would say there is, you know, you've got to, like, if you think about it, every time you take a bale of red clover silage out of the field, that's probably 10 units of potassium gone. So if you're cutting 20 bales a year out, that's 200 units gone from that field. If you were doing that over a two or three period, three year period, and you're only replacing it, maybe we'll just say, for instance, with 2000 gallons of cattle, sorry, that's only 60 units maybe of of potash going back in each year, but just yeah. 140 going out. So you need to know your offtakes, no matter what type of farming system you're in. And I think this area needs more focus, you know, farmers, and they are, in fairness, they're getting more and more focused on this new, the whole area of nutrient balancing. It's becoming very, very much to the fore. Yeah, right. Clover is a kind of a magical crop. It can, it can harvest 250 kgs of N per hectare. Um, mm. but the, the, the risks are it's, there's technical items with it. It is, can be wet and it needs to be wilted and also yeah. the K level, it is hungry for K. So mm. if people are working with, uh, livestock farmers going to take that silage, bringing back that slurry, having a, a, a cycle, a circular economy there where the, the silage exactly. is going out and the slurry is coming back. Exactly, exactly. But from, from making, I made a couple of videos on farms of farmers that are growing red clover. And um, as I say, I would have known very little about red clover 12 months ago. I still know very little. I know a little bit more about it, but uh, the performance of their livestock on red clover is phenomenal. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they're even saying the DMD value isn't a true reflection of yeah. just Patrick how good Kiley this stuff is. said that, that the DMD doesn't reflect the actual uh, yeah. feeding as it's fed and the intakes are fantastic. Yeah. But, yeah. but if people grow it, and especially with the new scheme that's there, they might be putting it in, they have to cut it a little bit higher than normal for, because it's growing bud and also feed the crop, get the yeah. game back on. Yeah. And then yeah. it'll be successful, isn't that yeah. right? And it's like any legume as well. And I know from one of the farmers in the video said it, and I would agree, it's, it's a trait of legumes. Uh, they're very sensitive to compaction. And he would mm -hmm. have said that when you're putting the slurry on between cuts, if it's actually, if the weather is damp and the soil structure is questionable that you could damage it, stay out with the tanker altogether and just let it go. And just make note of it that you didn't get the that P and K on in that cut, but you'll have to make up for it later in the season. But the worst thing you can do nearly is come in with heavy machinery on the, the clover because it can affect, you know, the, the rooting of it, the structure. Yeah. So that's just something to bear in mind. There's another one then in terms of cattle slurry. And it's there's two questions. Yeah. Uh, uh, can organic farmers import cattle, import slurry from a farmer in derogation? And the other angle to it is cattle slurry doesn't have to be from an organic source. So the uh, last one is so yeah so but I suppose the both the answers to both is you can take in slurry uh, well I suppose the first one is you can take in any cattle slurry for the, the, from a derogation farmer or non derogation and the main thing is it wasn't just someone that had an intensive like fe feedlot type situation okay so that's the answer to that and there should be oodles of slurry this year you know much more than ever before with the way the the, the regulation has gone um uh, that slurry should be making its way i'm very adamant that it should be I, I really hope it is making its way onto organic farms or onto tillage farms anyway where it can be used uh you know wisely um the other question what was the other one again Trinton? Um, it was uh, organic does it have yes, to come from an organic farm from, yeah. no 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 it doesn't so that's which is great it, it gives you loads of possibilities you know yeah yeah, yeah. uh the, the source of the pelleted, the source of the pelleted poultry manure. That that was one. Oh yeah, just a so, quick one. Yeah. So the source of the pellet. I, I suppose we we don't really want to get into to to brand names or promoting yeah. anyone in particular. I think they probably are the only ones doing it. But there's a company in Monaghan doing it. This company that we use the stuff from has just opened up a pelleting plant near Newry. 
So look, if you want to Google them, uh, Soil Works is the name, but I think they're the only ones at it. So I suppose we're not, I'm not trying to endorse any particular, I welcome anyone that gets into this industry. It's a great space to be in. Okay. So Sorry, Ken, just a, and, and Mark, there's just a question yeah. there in relation to uh, soil bioinoculants and soil conditioners. Okay. Uh, the, the potential role they have and the kind yeah. of... Yes. Uh, well, look, there's I, what I would say with some of them, and there's one in particular is very heavily, I won't name any names, but they're obviously very heavily advertised. I can't go on Facebook without an ad popping up for it. Uh, what I will say about these products is I'm going to remain open minded on them all. And we are actually trialing some of them in, in, in a trial in Wexford. So it'll be a replicated trial taken to harvest four reps of each. And we are testing some of these type of products. So that's where I'm going to park that one for the moment, Pat. And maybe in a year's time, if I'm back, I'll tell you how, how yeah, we did. We will invite you back for the results of that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Quite a bit of interest in it. Yeah. There's one there. Um, ag policy is constantly changing with organics getting a big push at present. Uh, mm. If this was to change, can organic tillage stand on its own? Well, that's so why, I, yeah, really yeah without, I without that's why I wanted to show the figures I did in the presentation, and you can all study them very carefully after because it was a really a whistle stop tour through it. But uh, have a look at them, and you'll notice I have left the organic subsidy out of it because I want to show that it can stand up on its own two feet without them. It's lovely to have the cushion of the of the payment there. You know, look, if something was to happen that I hope we don't, but if conventional grain price goes back to where I remember at one time, once upon a time, back at around, you know, I think 90 euros a ton green, 110 or 20 dried. You know, if we if we were ever to go back down to that kind of route and, and then obviously organic comes back down there, then you're going to be so as holding it up with the payment. All right. But God forbid we don't want to, uh, conventional tillage farming going back to that situation. You know, bad news for everyone. Martin, just two yeah. two questions uh, uh, yeah. strike me. Uh, one is, I suppose, a lot of our tillage farmers are now uh, fairly highly specialised, and a lot of them quite large. Yeah. Uh, the, I suppose, the sense I got from uh, your presentation is that the seventy hectare limit shouldn't mm. be uh, considered by those farmers as as the upper level for for becoming a, an organic farmer. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, that, yeah. it, that's a fair comment. The yeah. second thing is, is most, I suppose, of our tillage farmers are are renting land on, a, yeah. on an ongoing basis. And to me, I just haven't got my head around how they will face the challenge of, of becoming mm. uh, and staying organic and staying within the rules. Yeah, you see, and you won't get the organic farming payment on, on rented, we call it the 11 month system, which unfortunately an awful lot of tillage farmers are still on so you'll only get it on land that's leased long term and it has to have five years to run from the time you 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 join the the scheme so that that in a way is probably one of the reasons why there's not as much of an uptake as well because so much tillage land is on rented land so you know um there's yeah. a bit of work to be done there i think and, and combining yeah. that with the with the restriction and on, then the, on uh, yeah on the you cropping see, on what crops you can yeah Okay. Yeah, because you see, I have to be able to differentiate. I couldn't have, for example, conventionally grown winter wheat in one shed and organic wheat in the next shed. And sure, who's to say you could be mixing, you know, like you have to have some kind of um, uh, authenticity about the whole thing. And it has to be correct. You know, you, ha you know, you just... Um, you have to protect the, the 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 standard as well. You have to have uh, certain rules. It can't, it can't be a free for all, really. And um, and look, there is only what I would say a, a certain <laughs> finite market. We don't, as I say, we we there's, there has to be a, there's a there's a room for everyone. Uh, but we 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 wouldn't really. I would I wouldn't say we'd want to see, as I say, four or five hundred of the biggest tillage growers all putting well over seventy hectares in. I certainly think that the current organic farmers, tillage farmers that are there will be terrified at the thought. Yeah. Okay, um, listen, I, I'm going to have to cut it there. We were, we're out of time. We're just slightly over time. Uh, but listen, thank you very much. I think that was really enlightening. And I, as I said at the beginning, I think real food for thought for, for a lot of people. Uh, what's really encouraging is the fact that there are solutions to uh, uh, emerging to a lot of the issues that farmers would would, would be considering as, as problematic. And uh, I suppose the, the, the final thing is the, the, the gross margin at the end uh, doesn't seem to be as much of a barrier as a lot of people might have thought. So listen, thank you very much yeah. both to yourself and Fintan. I think it's been really enlightening. And as I say, we'll, we'll pull you back again in a year's time for, for okay. more experience. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Okay. Thanks for that. Uh, next week, 
Next week, we'll be joined uh, by Dr. Stefan Giesen, uh, l- looking at managing soil health. And I think we have a, a lot of regulation now uh, imminent in relation to, to, to soil health. And the whole issue of soil health is going to become a much bigger part of uh, our uh, agricultural world over the next number of years. So that would be a really, a really interesting site into how we manage soil health. Uh, without further ado, then I'll, I'll uh, sign off and say thanks to Mary, uh, Yvonne and Andy, our, our backroom team. Stay safe and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.